All right, good morning, good afternoon, evening, whatever it might be for you. Uh, welcome to our podcast, motorcycle-related-ish podcast. I'm Easton. I'm Cole. We should be here together pretty much every time. Today we're going to get into a little bit of MotoGP news slash going over the latest race, uh, which was in Argentina. And then we'll also jump into some motorcycle and motorcycle track-related discussions later on after that. Yesterday at one point, I was in fit. to ask you first how is your moto gp fantasy which one do you have multiple well we got some grid rivals and we got some moto gp going on well yeah that's why i specified the moto gp not the grid rival oh man they're both racing the same bikes you put the same riders in both well no they're both moto gp bikes though right <laughs> so your specification wasn't a specification. okay yeah yeah i hear you you got me there so a bit interesting first year doing it mm-hmm. so i don't understand entirely the turbos i just know judging from that you don't know the turbos either no no you get uh with grid rivals you get you know a starred rider gives you double the points on the moto gp you have three turbos a year you can put them on any rider oh and people i talk to say you got to save those to the end because you can be leading it but if you've used all your turbos you're no good anyway someone else will bump up huh Interesting. Well, I I had Mark and Miguel Oliveira in there, so uh, I seen that. I, but I didn't. I, I think it's more limited on the trades. I don't fully understand it. Um, obviously, we've been doing the Grid Rebel for a couple of years, so we're a little more used to that. But the MotoGP fantasy, I'm not super familiar with or understanding of yet. I like the fact that you get to pick a team as well as a constructor. Yeah, better because the the constructors <laughs> in the other one. I mean, yeah, you picked Ducati, got the field covered, <laughs> but yeah. it doesn't seem to realistically score points because obviously they're different teams. So I like breaking it down that one more level. Yeah, I agree with that. Also, I always wondered because like Ducati's got what, eight bikes on the field? Yep. yep. Eight, eight total bikes on the field. So do you actually get more points just based off how many bikes are getting points or I've never fully, I don't know. With grid rival, I know the teams don't feel as important. It always feels like you're better off picking a better rider and a cheaper team. So, did you end up watching? Uh, you usually do Moto Two, Moto Three, all of it. Absolutely, took half my day away from me. <laughs> I can't wait till they go back to Europe so that I can watch them early in the morning and get something done during the day. Oh yeah, I forgot that. Yeah, it didn't start till noon for me. Ten <clears> o'clock for you. Yep, I am. Uh, I, I don't want to say excited. But the championship is not what I was expecting, and I'm excited for that. Bagnaya with his wreck, uh, and then Bezeki coming out and actually taking the championship was like primo, in my opinion. Yeah, we going we going right into it. Yeah, because Bezeki's a bad man. I've been saying that for a while. You have. I was thinking that the whole time. You've got three top tier Italian riders now. And- yeah, he's Italian too. So is Anaya, right? Yep. And I, I think I think the uh, the funny part for me, if we're going to talk this way, is we have Jorge Martin, mm-hmm. the guy who complained, the guy who thought that he should have been a shoe in for the factory ride. Yep. The way it's shaping up this year, if they needed a factory rider next year, he'd have potentially two riders in front of him at this point. <laughs> Yeah, well, and that's what I mean. the The commentators talk about it all the time. How he's like, he's a qualifying guy. He's a one lap guy. He can do that one lap. And I, I don't remember. I'd want to say he only won the one race last year. Yeah, uh, and it was kind of a one off. And yeah, he can put down some fast laps. And he, you know, he's got talent for sure. But I, I definitely agree. I just wish Nea was still. I don't remember when is he supposed to be back next. He's supposed to be Texas? back for Coda. Okay, That'd I just. Good. I want to see him come back and put some pressure on because with what happened this week in Argentina, points aren't so far gone that he can't climb right back in it. I'm sure he'll yeah. feel like he can. And as long as that shoulder doesn't, it didn't require surgery. Coda's big breaking track. So it'll be interesting to see if it hinders him. If he right. hits the ground running, but if he, he won last year, you know, he was the temporary King of Coda. Was that him? I forgot. Yeah. 
No, I think it'll be good. Um, I mean, he's coming back. Obviously, Mark's coming back. I want to say Oliveira's coming back also. And who knows when KTM boy Espargaro is ever coming back. I haven't heard a whole lot new on that recently, but... I don't know if you've gotten anything. He ain't coming back for a while. His jaw is wired shut. Back is broken. They've uh, last week. Oh yeah, I did hear that. The vertebrae hit a vertebrae, something or other. Because I yeah. thought it was kind of, thought it was a little funny. Someone said like, "Yeah, he's got a fractured vertebrae." Blah 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 blah. Like they were just kind of glossing over that. I was like, "Uh, that's kind of a big deal. That's a little more than just." quick gloss over seems serious i wanted to talk about zarco because i want to know what this guy's problem is and i'd have to look it up but i'm pretty sure he did the exact same thing in the exact same race and the exact same conditions last year last week was it last week also last week in portamau he was he was back midfield waited till the end of the race and climbed all the way up into fourth was shooting for a podium i just remember and I think they, they were touching on it, the commentators, but I remember a race last year when he was, and I, I think it was same thing, Argentina in the rain too, where he just like, for the last few laps, just started coming out of nowhere. And so is that just him like saving tires better than everyone else? Or does he see a slow burner? Like, I don't, I don't so, understand. In my opinion, that's a new thing for Zarco. Um, obviously back-to-back weekends, but... Mm-hmm. If you look at Zarco's career, he's got one of the most interesting stories to me. Um, he's bounced around. He just spent all this time, like all this talent, got in a lot of trouble running into other riders, kind of building a bad reputation for himself, mm-hmm. telling factories where to go. But ever since he made it to Pramac, he's, I mean, he's admittedly Ducati's test rider on the track he's tests all the new stuff so he's not that consistent because they're constantly here go try this here go try that right Um, he's kind of the guy they're just sacrificing i know that he wants to a factory ride but at this point he's just old enough and there's too much talent there that he's never going to get it you're going to see him hanging out at pramac for a couple more years uh probably just doing that role and then gone but Guy's got more talent than anybody, but if you look at just the last few seasons, I don't even I don't even worry about him from a championship standpoint mm-hmm. because for years now he's proven he comes out. I don't know if it's an age thing. I don't know if it's you know I don't know what it is, but he comes out strong every year, runs towards the front, always kind of sits in that top three or four in points, and then he drifts off. Second half of the year always goes away. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I do remember specifically last year, I want to say like second or third to last race when he could have made moves on Bagnaya, but just decided not to. Whether due to Ducati's team, uh, I forget what they call that. Team order. So I think the unfortunate, one of the unfortunate things of Bagnaya crashing was Zarko was coming and it would have been interesting to see. I mean, surely at this point of the year, there's no team orders, but mm-hmm. Zarko is so much of a team player. He was, he was not going to rough him up. Right. Speaking well, of roughing him up, Alex Marquez was roughing him up. That's what I was just going to say. There can't be team orders because Alex Marquez and him, like not only this week, but I think last week a little bit also, but especially this week in the rain like that, they were, that's pretty good. Alex Marquez obviously thinks he's got something to prove. I don't think there's any team orders. He's like, got good bike, get out way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, every time we talk, we talk about it, but I'll talk about it again. I don't know whether. You've been talking about, you know, Bezeki being the real deal. He's obviously coming out to prove that. Uh, whether or not he's just one of those dudes that's magically amazing in the rain, you know, I guess we'll see the rest of the season. He's up there. He was up there last week. He's up there this week, running pretty good. But Alex Marquez hasn't been far off either. Now, I do remember his first season in MotoGP, the same season that Mark wrecked out. He won a race or did really well randomly, and I believe it was a rain race. Not to correct you on the stats, but he got on the Repsol bike. Mm-hmm. It was a rain race. And he got a podium. Um, And then he, uh, if I'm not incorrect, he backed that up with a podium the next week. And everybody was like, Alex is here. He's finally arrived. And then he just went away again. Yeah. And then we never saw him again. So I'm sure he wanted that second place in this race. He ended up third. Yeah. But I know he wanted that second place because third just matched his best finish. Well, and then speaking of that, dudes that we haven't seen in a while, what happened to your boy, Morbidelli? Where did he um, come from? He's he's fired up. <laughs> he's fired up. You know he's been working. Well, yeah, 
he got his whole haircut thing going on and everything at the beginning <laughs> of the season. But like, you know, first weekend out, I was like, okay, yeah, Morbidelli's here. But, you know, when you're watching qualifying and it's, it's early on and someone puts out a really good lap and you're like, oh man, that's my guy. He's doing it. But then you look at the time and you realize there's still, you know, 12 minutes left and you're like, oh, okay, this is not. We haven't started setting laps yet. That's how Morbidelli's always kind of been for me. He'll like go out and he'll set a lap, a, a fast lap, pretty early on. You're like, oh man, is he back? And then he just gets washed down by everyone else that comes in. I mean, he did well. I was fourth in the sprint, I think, and fourth in the in the actual race. Yep. So, so. he he's a bit of an enigma. He uh, he obviously can win races. He obviously can drive a bike. Not not very many years ago. I mean, he won multiple races. Was third in the championship. He was pushing. Right up until the last couple races. That's why he's got the job he has now. I don't right. know when he screwed his knee up. It kind of just got in his head and he hasn't ever got it back out. You know, a lot of a lot of people say it's the the bike. That bike's not built for him. It's built for Quattraro. And then they have completely different riding styles. Right. So if they're trying to make it work for Quattraro, it's just totally not working for him. And since he's not doing good, they're not helping because they don't want to change. I have a hard time with that because... Jack and Brad, they drive different. They're setting them. It's two teams. Mm -hmm. I mean, fundamentally, they're not going to change major geometries or something like that, but they can set the bike up for the guy. Right. But he has been working all offseason. I learned Valentino Rossi, actually, has pulled him aside, and they've been doing one-on-one seminars, and Rossi's been trying to get him back out of his head and drive the bike more aggressive so there's been some talk about that and they were saying maybe more Bedelli will be back you know with all the work he did in the offseason mm-hmm. but he didn't show that in week one right same old more Bedelli. so i was like didn't put much cloud into it we'll have to see how it goes the next couple of weeks yeah well I, I mean i'm excited um because i remember seeing kind of the same stuff in the offseason like i said he got his hair cut and i was like oh okay he means business now you know, but then yeah, week one, like you said, nothing. There's not really anything there. It's same old, same old. Okay, count that guy off. I kind of just like at that point, I just marked him off, right? Which isn't smart, but that's how it is. And then this week, the sprint game did pretty well. I was like, okay, is that a one-off? You know, are we gonna? Is that gonna stick around? And then it stuck around for the race. So yeah, now I'm excited because that kind of like brings him back into on my list, I guess, of reasonable contenders. Not necessarily for a championship, but to make things nice and interesting up at the top. I'm pretty excited. I think uh, obviously Ducati. I I don't know if Ducati necessarily cares if Bagnaia takes it. They got their championship last year, right? They they won all three. They took it. And so I'm trying to figure out if they're going to, you don't want to push the beginning, right? You can't come out of the season with team orders like, all right, everyone go block everyone else. So Bagnaya can just go take the championship because then you won't have any riders. And there's probably rules and laws against that all over the place. Bagnaya is their top dude on their factory bike, but all their bikes are competitive. And it seems like they've got a pretty good lineup. Um, so it'll be interesting because I think I'm starting to agree with you maybe on Bezeki being, uh, being that guy and it's not just the Ducati under him. But yeah, I'm just, I'm looking forward to that. And then Jack came out of kind of, kind of nowhere real quick with his KTM. Um, not this weekend necessarily, but this season in general so far, see if he can keep that up. We'll go back to Jack real quick, but let me say Ducati absolutely does care that the bike's red. Okay. Why do you say that? that? Well, past that, they don't care. Um, if it's Bagnaya, if it's Peko, I don't think they care, but those other Ducatis, they do not want beating them. Absolutely. Just to go back to your comment about Ducati, just wanting to keep it. I'm sure they want to keep it in the camp. So let's say Bezeki comes out, wins the championship this year. That would be their second choice. Mm-hmm. First choice would be a red bike. Second choice would be somebody on a Ducati, you know, anybody, but the other guys, right? Definitely that first choice is. I- I'm sure they want Peko to win another one. Well, yeah. I, they want I to get him on the wall in Italy next to Casey Stoner. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially because he's actually Italian. I think that's kind of the big... We've talked about that before, how it feels like, you know, Ducati would, would take a good person. Like Jack. You know, we were talking about, why don't you just keep Jack? He's, he's not bad. He's out there winning, almost winning, but he's also a team player, willing to help out, willing to do what they ask. He's not, he's not going to stop doing it. Uh, but like my favorite thing about Jack, and I think probably yours too, is just how much how much fun it is having him on the grid and watching. Like if you, you know, if you're scrolling through your MotoGP app and you want to see something good, it's probably going to be Jack doing a stop here or a wheelie or whatever it might be. Absolutely. 
wouldn't be the same without him by any yeah. means. So I was I was pretty happy that first week uh, when he came out on the KTM and was actually putting down putting down some good laps and able to able to keep up. And then I mean, apparently the KTM's got it because Brad Bender came out and won the sprint. What this past about weekend. that? Yeah, I don't know. From fifteenth, I was like, I mean, he was in second or third after the first lap and then took it and i was like okay i mean you know maybe this he just got a good start there's no way he's gonna keep it and they always talk about brad bender being a sunday man but like he won that one race that was about it you know like i i never quite agreed with that yeah sure he always does better on sundays but to me it was more of a he can't qualify not that he always wins on sundays well here here's why they say that though the reason they say he's a sunday man is not because of that one race not not to argue with you here, but it's because if you look at consistently, he qualifies terrible. Right. He qualifies terrible just consistently. And then when he gets out on the track, he passes a lot of people. I mean, he's always up there in that top six mm-hmm. on, on any given week. And he's always coming from 15. He's a Sunday man because he brings it on Sunday. And that's kind of the same problem Suzuki used to have, right? They always say, right. man, if he could just qualify up there, he could win the race. But me, well, as... You know, you know my biases, but watching that race, I was just like, Jack, I know you seen what Brad did yesterday, but calm down. That's not <laughs> ever happening again. Yeah. I just I just knew he was gonna throw it into a wall on turn one, trying to do the right. same thing. And luckily he didn't. But no. I was the KTM, you know, Brad went down obviously, and I don't know if there was something wrong with his bike. I don't know how far back he was. It was hard to tell from the telecast. But he never fought for any more spots, even though he rejoined. He did rejoin. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure because Bagnaya went ahead of him, got ahead of him. Yeah, he was so, ahead when he got back. Well, let he, me see. I've uh, got the gap right here. So, but he was down 48 seconds. So almost yeah, a minute, almost a minute behind. Yeah, he but Bagnaya was down 47. So, yeah. Well, speaking of Sunday man, though, and not being able to qualify. And this is, I'm weirded out because Morbidelli did so well, but what is with Quattararo and why, you know, where is he? Is he going to show up? Is it really the bike? Is it, what's going on? That caliber rider, they always blame the bike. Right. I agree with that. I mean, even with a Mark Marquez, it's Mm -hmm. surely it can't be him losing, missing a step, you know, whatever. But I think, I think it's in his head. I think, I think there's some things in his head because it's got to be frustrating out there. I mean, Jack, not to bring him up again, but Jack said that last week. It's like being on the other side off of the Ducati, how frustrating mm-hmm. it is to fight, fight for a whole lap to finally get, get around somebody and they just blow you down on the straight get again. Get blown back down. But did you hear the interview with Bezeki? I'm not sure what you're referring to. So I believe it was Bezeki. They asked him about Morbidelli because he said that Yamaha could keep up with me on the straight. It was right there with me or some, something along those lines. I could see if I could find it real quick, but where is it at? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that, but I know that, you know, when you talk about that straightaway speed, the KTMs don't have trouble with it necessarily. And the Hondas never have had trouble with it. Right. It's I mean, always been... so Ducati's always been, you know, the power bike. They've always been able to get on the straight and just power out and go. The difference is that now they've added, a Ducati that can actually turn to some degree. They, you know, you're still always talking about how much better the Yamaha is in the in the turns, and I've seen that. I mean, if if you watch the races closely and actually watch, you can see a Yamaha come up with a good rider on top of it, come up and like really make a difference in the turns. Sorry, I'm still looking for that. Unheard. The Yamaha on the straight is as fast as me. Well, maybe that's some Batista World Superbike stuff. He just doesn't want he doesn't want people giving all the credit to the bike and comment be- like that. He might just not want somebody saying, ah, it's because you're on the Ducati. Yeah. No, that's that's pretty fair. Which, I mean, that's the hard part because I'm over here. I've been over here saying it. And I'm starting to see that difference, right? Marini, same bike, same team. Not quite up there with them. So, obviously, there's a difference in those two riders. But it's just interesting. And I think we we talked preseason. We mentioned Alex Marquez a lot, how he would be the telling. Because he's been not good, right, since he showed up to MotoGP. Just, just point point blank not good you can't really argue that with me after the first round of testing a ducati team was like you know this is going to be alex marcus's year he's going to show you why he's a championship rider um and obviously he's a pretty big talk uh maybe 
Maybe just because of his name, maybe not. He comes out on the Ducati and all of a sudden he's doing well. So is that actually how good he is? Is it the Ducati is just that much better? How bad it, Honda is. Right. That's what I was going to say next is, is it just how bad the Honda actually is? But if the Honda is that bad, how good is Mark? So nobody's going to argue that Mark's not great. I can still argue that we, we, we've had discussions. Again, I'm going to bring Jack Miller up. But Jack Miller, you can throw him on any bike. And I have a reasonable expectation of him going somewhere with it. He's got a dirt bike background. He doesn't mind the bike moving around. Everything doesn't need to be perfect. He's still going to push it. Right. Uh, to to a greater extent, Mark Marquez. I think you could throw him on about anything. He's going to go figure out how to get it through a corner and 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 push it. Uh, that being said, like it'd be interesting to see Jack on a Honda. Maybe Jack goes and throws around a Honda just as good as. Well, he was not a long time ago, but long uh, long time ago. And since then, Ducati or Honda's gotten worse, I guess, or hasn't progressed with everyone else. I don't know. But that's well, a that's an interesting because if you go back in history, because um, I was doing, I did a, a decent amount of research last year, and I'm not gonna like pull it all up and get the get the facts. But if you ever watch race after race, which I went back and I think you know this, but I went back to 2013 and I've watched every single one of Mark Marquez's races. Only because when I first started watching MotoGP, I was like, uh, Mark Marquez, it's like the only person I know that isn't Valentino Rossi. And he's also doing really good, so that'd be an easy guy to cheer for, right? And then I realized that I didn't want to just be like, well, he wins, so I'm going to cheer for him. So I decided the easiest way to do that was go back and watch him race for his entire career, at least in MotoGP. And he consistently puts down a higher lean angle than any other bike on the grid. And so I was trying to figure that out. Everyone always talked about his riding style when he showed up and all of that. But if you go back and watch interviews in the Danny Pedrosa days, in the him versus Jorge Lorenzo on the Yamaha days, they were always a little upset because they're like, we don't know how he does it. The way that he rides that bike is the way you have to ride that bike to get that speed. And for some reason, he was able to come in and, and ride the bike like no one else ever could. And so you listen to that. And after a while, you're like, well, was the Honda ever really amazing? Or was it just that you had a rider that was willing to push that bubble just far enough to get the maximum out of it? And yeah, if you're if you're talking history and you start looking at Honda, it's kind of the, the football team argument, right? You put a quarterback on a team, he looks like a superstar. I think he's the greatest quarterback ever. You throw him on another team and he's mediocre at best. I kind of think it's a, the same scenario here. I think Mark is absolutely cream of the crop. But if you look back through Honda's whole history or in MotoGP, they've always had a top tier rider. Correct. They've always had a superstar on the bike. And the question has to be, is it a great bike that made people look like superstars or was well, it great riders making the bike look like a superstar? I think that's an interesting thing because when you come to Mark's career, I believe that the bike, they're in a bad place now. Mm -hmm. um, you always got to remember though, that that bike, the bike he's riding right now, five years ago, may very well have dominated everybody and been the greatest bike on the grid. Right. But everybody else keeps improving right. and they seem to have stood still. So we're calling it a bad bike when it'd be interesting to put all the t lap times on a graph like over the years and mm -hmm. see if Mark's or whoever's times today, how many years back you would have to go that they were that time would win every race. Yeah, you'd have to you definitely have to go with the, the race laps and whatnot. Because I was just thinking, I was like, well, I mean, he set a new lap record last week. So, <laughs> yeah, I would like to argue, and I don't know that I have evidence to back this up or that I've done enough research, but I would like to argue that it it's never been Honda. It's been the riders they get. And they've always had, I mean, you look at like Juan Mir said it this year when he showed up. He's like, I'm very excited to be on Repsol because every rider dreams of wearing those colors. They had Rossi way back in the day. They had Casey Stoner, obviously. They had Nicky Hayden, which Nicky Hayden... I think he won he won his one championship and then kind of played it out for a while. Uh obviously he'll always be remembered. And then they've had they've had Mark since 2013. So I would like to believe that it's not just that Honda was that great. And sure they I'm, you have to be, right? You have to have a good bike. If you didn't, I don't think Mark would be doing so bad. You know, to your argument, Rossi left Honda because they were saying it was a bike. That's, did, that's he did the same thing with Ducati though too, so. That's the real reason he left was Honda kept saying anybody can win a championship on this bike. It's not so much you, kid. Mm -hmm. And so he said, "Well, I'm going to go take a bike that was not very good at that time." 
I'm going to go jump on this Yamaha and show you. And he did. Took him a year. Yeah. Well, and how many, that brings up a good point. How many VR46 trained people, not on the team, but trained people do we have out there right now? Bashanini, mm-hmm. Morbidelli, Bagnaya. Mm-hmm. Bezeki. Bezeki. And Luca Marini's has got to be. I would assume so. I, I was wondering that, though. Will they take anyone on their team that isn't trained at the academy? I think so. You just definitely have I a... Because so it's just a team. I don't think you can make that. I don't know. What if Rossi's team beats Ducati and then he goes Yamaha? <laughs> is that uh, is that confirmed? Yamaha's been talking about it. The popular opinion is, why would he leave Ducati when they're with Yamaha in the situation they are right now? You know, rumors. But one of the rumors that got floated was the only way they could get Rossi to come back to Yamaha would be to give him the factory team. Right. Okay. That makes sense. I can't see that happening. You know, maybe it depends on the future of MotoGP. I'm still a little still a little nervous, hoping they bring some new blood in as far as factories. I sure wish they could find somebody to replace Suzuki and not just a new paint scheme on it. KTM. Right. Well, and then that's the other question I wanted to ask you was about the Aprilias in the rain. Is that actually the bike in the rain or is it the two riders in the rain? Because I know from all my experience talking to people that just ride motorcycles or even, you know, go to the track and race motorcycles or just ride at the track. Always said when it comes to rain riding, it's purely down to how willing you are to risk it. You're going to be a little slower. You're going to be more smooth. I mean, you're on two wheels with not a ton of grip. And easy to slip out. From everything I've always heard, if you like to get the fastest lap time, you just got to have the biggest balls. You got to go out and do it. And anytime there's a rain race, that's stuck in the back of my head. Like, all right, is this guy just, you know, he's just the most willing to go do it? Or is he actually a good rider? And then on the opposite of that, all these people that aren't doing well. It's funny because they'll always talk, the commentators, and maybe maybe I'm getting this mixed up, but they were, you know, the Aprilias, the Aprilias, the Aprilias. You know, it feels like when the bikes are doing bad. It's, oh man, that Yamaha or that Honda. And I think you, we were kind of just talking about that anyway. But yeah, it's always like, oh man, that bike. And then when it's doing good, it's like, oh yeah, that rider, you know, he figured out, he figured out how to ride that bike. So they were talking on the Aprilia's not being able to ride in the rain this weekend. Is that actually... If you're looking at Aleish, Aleish has a pretty good history of racing in the rain. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where his struggle was coming from. Uh, Maverick Vinales, before that race started, when it was a rain race, I said, Sorry, Maverick. Been been nice knowing you. When he was still on a Yamaha, there was one race. I don't recall what track it was, but it started sprinkling. He was like in third place. It started sprinkling, and you physically seen him look up at the rain. He looked up during the race. He looks up, mm-hmm. and then the bike just started slowing down. People just started going by him. And that was at a time when he was with Yamaha, not willing to risk anything. You know, that was before the famous over-rev yeah. and, and all that. So I know it was during that scenario, and he just wasn't going to push it. I have no faith in Maverick in the rain. Aleish, I don't know what was happening to him. He was complaining after the race about not being able to see through his helmet. He said there was some rain getting in there or fogging up or something. So he, he was... He was saying his vision and i always question things like that a little bit everybody's dealing with the same conditions i question him a lot because i feel like he's he's one <laughs> he's the that captain. he's always i think a couple times he's admitted like no i made a mistake but i mean at the end of the season last year when it was clear that he's not quite keeping up he's like aprilia and i just don't have what it takes but like very key to mention my team my factory you know my my bike doesn't have what it takes right he likes to find things to blame i just want to say this while i'm while i'm thinking about it but in the moto 2 race on the podium uh the guy who finished third jake dixon jake dixon on a gas gas finished third and after the race he said something about his helmet he said talking to him in park for he's like oh yeah i started getting fog inside my helmet i was having a real hard time seeing so i just settled for third and then he caught himself and he went the helmet was working fine everything about the helmet was great it was something i did you know he wanted to make sure they knew it wasn't a, a right. helmet failure take care of the sponsors yeah and, and and that's fine he writes for showy fyi <laughs> he uh it, it was just funny because that that's like what you're saying so Aleish, he's like Oh, my helmet's screwed. That's the problem. Right. Not worried about sponsors, not worried about nothing. Uh, that's what rubs people wrong about him, I yeah. think. Well, I am we gotta start wrapping up the MotoGP portion of this, but I am excited, I think, for this season. I think Aprilia's got a competitive bike. I think we've seen that already. Whether or not they have competitive riders, I hope Miguel comes back at full strength and really gives it. I feel like Vinales and, and Aleish are they're always a solid wild card, you know. Obviously last year, like Aleish was at what, fourth, I think. 
overall yeah, in the end should have been second that end of that season went away from him right so there's i mean there's consistency there i think vinales can get consistency maybe we'll see this will be a good year because the bike is there i think aprilia brought the bike uh the riders agree. just need to show up as far as what we could talk about next week since there's no race this weekend at least moto gp wise i don't know world superbike schedule or moto america i don't uh, think moto- Moto America is not till the end of the month. It's a week Road after. Atlanta, so. And I believe World Superbike is that same weekend. All right. Well, I'm looking at the source is usmotorsport.com slash MotoGP slash news slash Honda. Anyway, uh, but Honda is set to test their new Calyx swing arm the 4th through the 6th of April. And I think they've got that. It's a private. With Brattle? Yep. Stefan Brattle will be out testing it before they bring it. But this article is saying that they want to bring that possibly to Coda. Yep. Should the test prove positive, the chassis could then be shipped to the Circuit of Americas in Austin for the third round of MotoGP. So I'll uh, I'll keep up with that this week and see if I get any news anywhere about that testing. And then also we're still waiting as far as I've, I haven't seen, unless you've heard somewhere else, but we're waiting on the decision on whether or not Mark's going to be serving his penalty or not. So Yeah, I think the consensus is that he will be serving that penalty, no matter how hard Honda wants to fight it. Okay, but we haven't gotten that official from the Court of Appeal yet. No. But we could talk about that a little more next week also, because I'm I'm not sure how I feel about it. We get very (laughs) mixed, very mixed feelings. I mean, obviously I'm a Mark fan, so I'd rather he not. Does he deserve it? Yes. He didn't race last week, so he already didn't get any points. Uh, say, say the real reason. We're going to be at Coda. But that too. Okay, yeah. We're going to be at Coda. We don't, we don't need you seeing Mark doing long lap penalties. Yeah, first MotoGP race. first. Well, and it's his first real time back at Coda since his big wreck. He's had plenty since then. In theory, this should be his year to, to take back the crown be the king of coda again which i think if there was any track on the on the calendar for him to do that that i was like yes mark will win that one that would be where it would be so i guess that's or germany yeah germany's also yeah because he came back and won that randomly yeah before he was actually fully back the other i mean i don't know if you want to talk about long lap penalties but i just want to say i don't know so in argentina the long lap penalties aren't fair from track to track you know the way they penalize you and not to take anything away from uh, Garcia and Aaron Canet in Moto2, their teammate. One of them had to serve one long lap penalty, and the other one, Canet, had to serve two long lap penalties during that race in the rain, and they finished fourth and fifth. I don't think that's possible at Coda. No. Yeah, because no. it's a little the where it is and, and how it's set up, and then which makes sense. It depends on how much speed you have to shave to get in there realistically that's the biggest thing i think the biggest issue too is the fact that he's got it's a double it's not just one you can't either get a huge lead and then go break it out or and you can't bust it out of the beginning like whatever i think your best option in that case you know assuming that mark is is mark and can come to coda and get a 12 second lead like he did in 2019 that might be exaggerating a little bit but it was pretty large lead which is he that person is the bike that bike anymore Probably not, but assuming all those things, right, go get your lead and then come out and take your long lap penalty. But you had mentioned that you only have, well, that's when you get it during the race, I believe. Yeah, if if you get it during the race, you can take it later. If you have one going into a race, they'll let the first two laps clean out, Mm -hmm. one to two laps. They'll let them clean out, and then they'll get a light in their dash telling them it's time to serve them. And they have a... Okay, so you can't just hold it till the end. Yep. Okay. Plus, you know, to your 12-second comment, I know he did that. Until Bezeki did what he did this past weekend, I didn't think anybody could do that anymore anywhere. Yeah, they are all, it is tight. Much, it is much very tight. Tighter than it used to be. Bezeki was up to eight seconds, I think, at one point, over eight seconds. But I know he got over six, and I think well over seven, yes. But he yeah, ended he, four. Yeah, he took those last couple laps so, a little easy. Yeah, I did notice that, which <laughs> I don't blame the guy. <laughs> when you got that lead and, and you're coming in and you know you can just okay it's i'm good now then yeah, absolutely i have no issues with that but yeah i did notice also i want to know people are like trying to wheelie over the start finish again but they can't is that a bike thing do you have to set up like i, I have not delved into moto gp bike technology and what lets them do things and stop things and whatever but you know it used to be if you're way ahead you come over the start finish and you're stand up wheelie all the way across not every time but quite a few people doing that so it feels like the only person i've seen do something like that is uh jack miller so uh, there's a i can't remember the name so i shouldn't bring it up but there's a there's a nice jack miller video on youtube uh him Mm -hmm. back at the ranch uh knowing that he's going to ktm it happened during the off season okay and he made the comment that he cannot wheelie a ktm yet he said that bike he was he was talking with brad bender and he's like we got to do something with these boys because 
<laughs> that bike won't wheelie. But I know that when Pekka won the championship last year, they apologized to him afterwards because, you know, they have all the different mappings. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. during the race, they say, you know, switch to map two, conserves fuel, conserves tire. Right. Um, I, I know that Jack always has a setting set up so that it turns everything off. So he'd be at home. That makes sense. That's what I kind of figured. And I guess if you're doing that, because it looked like Bezeki kind of tried to wheelie it, you know, he got his front tire about six inches off and that was all he could do, uh, which it, it was raining. So again, I don't, you know, I don't blame anyone too much there. Tony Arbolino won his race in, in Moto2. Okay. He wheelied across the line and he was, he was hanging a leg off the other side of the bike, crossed up, That's he wheelied good. all the way down the straight. He was having a good old time. That's what you like to see. All right. To kind of close out MotoGP, I wanted to start off. I wanted to talk about BMW, a couple of things. One, cause I, I might buy you a, buy a bike and then ship it out to you. But I was watching some videos and looking around because there's a new M1000 in 2023 and a new S1000, right? And I think you could agree with me that the S1000 looks almost identical to the old M1000, Agreed. right? Uh, with the winglets. And, and so I was watching a video of a dude that had has the brand new S1000 and he has, uh, I think, 21 or 22 maybe M1000. There was not a whole lot of difference at all. In fact, down to like he was trading parts off of his old one to his new one, vice versa, to see how similar they were. And they were pretty much the same exact bike. Like I was just kind of looking around, dreaming of bikes that I'll probably never own. And also I was curious about, I hadn't actually like looked into it for myself, but how how much bigger the wings are on mm-hmm. the new M versus the current S. Yeah. Uh, and then I started seeing their like, let's see. Take advantage of the way this is straight off their website, right? The M brake ducts and optional M aero wheel covers were created in collaboration with BMW Motorsport experts, which I've got, you know, on the Aprilia, I've got the little brake ducts, which look cool. They're supposed to reduce brake fade by 30% or something. If you're crazy, I probably never going to ride like that personally, but all these things out here, they almost completely changed the look. The intake's different. The wings are huge. It's got brake ducts. It's got all of this stuff going on. And I had remembered you saying, unless I saw this somewhere else, but it's all purely because they need that for World Superbike. Yeah, that was the that was the theory. But they've come out of the gate failing, pretty much just failing. And I, I'm rooting for them, but they're not they're not doing great. Hopefully, hopefully things come around. The argument is they can put as many wings on a bike as they want, but until they're willing to do like Ducati and make the M a completely different bike, the M needs to be a different swing arm, a whole different frame. It needs to be a completely different bike that's set up if they want to go win races in world. Okay. That's what, that's what Ducati's done. BMW just keeps putting lipstick on the pig if you would yeah well so i was looking at them earlier i was looking i was actually looking at a different model i was looking at the g310r again that's a conversation for another time but i was looking at them side by side and they're like they're a little different uh mostly it looks like the shape of the front fairing the the new bmw is a lot more steep where right. the old ones actually got some curve to it still but i also while i was reading through here the other day so you've got the 2022 yep. and yours still has the gold subframe ish mm-hmm. or i guess bronze copper kind of colored and the engine covers, and they did away with that in 2023. And I was curious on your opinion of that, because I used to think I liked it. I think I like it in certain colors. I don't know if I like it in the black, necessarily. Uh, I think it looks fine, but it's not like my preferred, I guess. Uh, now they've got, it's all black. Everything's black. Right. So I was kind of curious on your opinion on that. I, I like the color rather than the new all black. Uh, okay. Going back to the winglets, I think the... When you see those bikes sitting side by side, it's like they grabbed the jawline and just pulled it down. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Got like their website's yeah. actually pretty cool. I will say, just a quick shout out to BMW Motor Ads. You get on there and they're they've got a whole long list. And I I haven't been on many other websites. So I don't know. You know, they break down every little part and piece that's new. They show you all the changes. They give you a quick little paragraph on it. But then they've also got a sound test, uh, and it's pretty quality audio on there. I had never been on their website. Reasonable website. Anyway, got to do something, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, that brings me to um, this is supposed to be a maybe a shocker to the world. But I was very curious what you would say if I said that I think and I th- I want to say I've said this before, but I think not anymore. We're talking older generation like the 2010 that you have all the way up to 20, I guess, 19, 2020 when they when they switched. So the original three generations. I would consider personally a German Jixer. I'm just going to say that. I think that I've ridden your bike, the old one. You've been on a Jixer before. You look at the shape, 
Uh, we'll point out some obvious obvious things real quick. Uh, inline four, they're both inline fours. Okay, get that knocked out of the way because that doesn't necessarily make a bike the same. Um, but you can look at like seat height to tank height profile and that's there and then kind of the ergonomics i feel like they're just super similar and i think i could i think i could argue with someone that's uh you know a jixer hater which obviously i'm not and so i love to argue with them i shouldn't say obviously i guess but uh for the sake of the podcast maybe we should put out what we ride yeah for the sake of the podcast don't make me sing the song <laughs> we're not singing the song but no i've got a i've got an 08 jixer 750 on the track and then you've got the 09 jixer 750 that's out here for half of the track i guess for some of the tracks um and then i've got a 20 2019 aprilia rsv4 1100 factory you always gotta add the factory uh which is for the street i'll let you go ahead and introduce your bikes just so that's out there i got a 22 bmw s1000 rr for the street and i've got a 2010 bmw s1000 double r that i use strictly for the track and again the jixer i've got a jixer yeah uh-huh uh-huh. I've got a Jixer. But again, I would like to argue, I think you low-key have too. And I think, and like I said, I would mostly, I would just like to like to have an argument with a huge Jixer hater, which people are for, I think, I think there's reasoning behind it, right? The whole Jixer riders are squids and all of that. Um, but I was passing by on my way out of work the other day in the parking lot. I looked over and there was a late probably like 08 to 2010 CBR 600. The back tire was just completely flat, right? Just traction comes up completely flat. Well, yeah, you say traction until there's also like almost no tread left in it. Well, maybe they're uh, taking it to Moab. The chain looked like it should have been on a dirt bike Moab? It, with how loose it was, right? Yeah, you know, I guess you're right. I didn't think about <laughs> the possibilities here. Rusted, the whole thing was just dirty. And it just kind of, you know, I just kind of laughed at myself because I was like, it's not only Jixers. It could be literally any bike. And I only say that because I think I told you about this already on a phone call, but I had a conversation with someone. He's like, oh, well, what do you ride? I was like, oh, I got a, you know, a Jixer. He's like, oh man, you ride a Jixer? I was like, well, yeah, man. Like, he's like, oh, come on. Why you got to tell me that? I'm trying to give me all this crap. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's my track bike. I don't really ride it on the road anymore, but I Honestly, I would. I'll stand behind that all day. I did for a few years. And then I asked him what he rode, and he said a CBR 650. And I was taken aback. I was like, you're talking shit on a super sport, bud, while you're riding a CBR 650. Like, let's uh, well, come up come up a level, and then let's have a conversation. From a from an old guy's perspective, Jixers. Because I lived through the golden age of Jixers. Yeah, okay, fair. I'm old enough to remember the golden age of Jixers. The thing that's unique about the Jixer is... If all they made was a 600, if they had never made the 750, if there was just a Jixer 600 out there, I could care less. Yep. I don't know that I would say that's a better bike than a Kawasaki or a Yamaha or a whatever. For me, it's the fact that there's a 750, which is just kind of this middle place bike because we're getting that small bike. We're getting all the benefits of that, but it's actually got some real grunt. And right. for, a, for a guy like me, I'm not interested in all in a 600 it just fits a, a niche and i and i think they know that um they're obviously the only ones still yeah, doing it yeah well because they weren't the only ones right we had an r7 we had a zx7r we had all of that sure you know the 1985 jixer 750 rr was the first to, you know we can dive into all that history if we want to um but and and no i kind of i kind of agree because i'm not going to sit here and tell you that you know, Jixer is the best bike out there in the world. Everyone should have one and blah, 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 blah. I just don't like the hate that everyone brings to it. Now, again, yeah, maybe you live through that era a little better, but it, it comes from somewhere, obviously. The type of people that would buy them, I guess, uh, slash how you always, what condition you see them in. But I can confidently say I, I love my bike out on the track. Now, have, have I ridden a whole lot else? No, I've only ridden your BMW besides it, but I love it. All the way down to the, the squishy brakes that everyone hates, and I... I don't like saying squishy because I wouldn't call them squishy, but they don't bite. Confidence inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. But I, so that's another thing I was doing because I've noticed and I, I haven't taken the Aprilia to the track yet. You know, we're planning that for when I go to Atlanta Motorsports Park here in a couple of weeks, I'll end up taking it with me uh, and hopefully I'll have some more uh, insight, I guess, at that point. But I've noticed while riding it that the brakes are, they're kind of similar to that. They're Brembo's. They're you know, they're supposed to be amazing. They've got all the stopping power and they, they're good, but they don't bite. They don't have that initial bite. You know, your, your 2010 S1000, 
kind of has that little bit. You got to be real easy on them because it feels like if you just grab a handful, you're going over, which is probably true. And then a buddy of mine that had that 675 that I rode. Yeah, the first time I pulled the brakes on that, I was it was surprising, right? I wasn't quite ready for it. Everyone always talks about changing their brakes out. You know, on, on the Jigsters, they'll throw the R6 brakes on there and everyone loves that bite. And I'm not a huge fan of it. And I know, I think we've, we've talked about that quite a bit, how you, the first time you rode my bike, you like that a lot. Like you said, confidence inspiring. But the Aprilia feels very similar. And then I was I was watching some reviews on a bike that I already own, which I do quite often. But the dudes were saying the same thing. They're like, it's awesome. You can come into a corner and you can just grab the brake. And she'll she'll slow down, she'll get it, but you can grab a decent amount. You don't have that fear of like, okay, I have to, you know, the, the couple of split seconds it takes you to realize like how much pressure am I putting in and gaining control of your fingers and making sure that you're only doing that little bit that precision that it takes, it takes that guesswork out because you know that you can grab, you can grab some break. And if you accidentally grab too much, you know, if you hit, there happens to be a crack right there in the track or on the road or even, or whatever, you can hit that and maybe your hand moves and grabs a little more break. You'll be okay. I guess in that aspect, going back to how an S1000 is just a German Jigsaw, they're not quite because they've got the better brakes, but <laughs> I'm going to keep saying that. That's going to be my, my thing. No such thing. You're going to get t-shirts made, German Jigsaw. <laughs> with the uh like the outline of the the this front the big the asymmetrical head, headlights old school s in the background yeah i'm Maybe. telling you the price of everything's gone insane mm-hmm. but i caught myself looking at used first gen bmws they're kind of like harleys in that way you got guys with more money than brains maybe buying them sometimes and they don't actually drive them. They just get stuck in the garage. Okay. Huh? I was I was very curious where you're going with that comment. <laughs> I was like, he's going to relate it, but I want to see how. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a Harley Davidson with high miles is hard to sell sometimes, not because there's any quality issues. It's just you can always find one that's sat in a doctor's garage. Right. With yep. no miles on it. And there's a few BMWs for sale around here. I, those first gens, low miles, but they're just starting to ask more and more for them. I keep... What what kind of price is we looking? I know I've seen one the other day at around ten out here. Yeah, I've, I've seen, seen them one as high as fourteen. Okay, I've seen one track built at nine. Want to say no title, which seems to be the. Yeah, I think a title costs about a thousand dollars. Is what I've seen. So Sometimes, people want to say anyway. You know me. I keep catching myself going. I should buy one of those just to put in the in the house. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to ride it. I don't need another one. I just want one that's stock. I mean, you took the uh, the 22 to Chuck Wallow. Yep. Have you ridden it on the track since then? No, um, I haven't. No? And that was what? It was still in its breaking period. It still had, it was still bone stock at that point, if I remember right. Yep. Because it was, yeah, that was like right after you got it. I'd be curious and maybe maybe when I come out there in July. But curious to hear your, your opinions on the differences between the two. That's probably what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. in july and uh i'm a little scared to do that because one one thing i do know is no matter how many new parts you put on the 2010 mm-hmm. it, it it's clunky feeling comparatively okay. speaking right to that fresh new bike yep it's it's just clunky feeling and i'm well um, so i could i don't want to talk crap on your bike and i think i've told you all this already but the I missed the clunky. I mean, you're on a 2022. It's an S1000. And there were just a few little parts of it that I felt a little too disconnected. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Loved riding it. Amazing bike. Smooth, easy to handle, light. Like I could go on and on about all the amazing parts of this bike. So this is me literally just nitpicking the couple little details that I had an issue with. I put that in very, very strong quotes there. Um, but, and like I said, I think I told you about this already, but like the shifter felt almost like there wasn't a shift link. Like I was just hitting a pressure pad and that pressure pad was transferring a signal. Right. And then the brake and the clutch just felt a little, and I think you had mentioned you can tighten and loosen those. Right. Like the clutch. Right. So maybe that's, that's where it's from. But I know when I, I was very relieved, uh, when I went and bought my Aprilia because I was afraid that that was just all new bikes. I didn't want to blame BMW and I still don't really blame BMW because again, they made an amazing bike. It's fun to ride. I'm sure you can attest to that even more than I can, but I was afraid that I was going to go buy this brand new Aprilia and have that, that disconnect and not have that clunky, like, yeah, you got clutchless up and down. You got all these electronics helping you out, but at the end of the day, I still want to feel like I'm riding a motorcycle, right? I want to, want to be in connect. You know, it's one of the reasons like I love my, the, I've been driving the, the Beamer to work 
for the past week at the car. And one of the reasons I love that is that, you know, it's got a heavy clutch. It's got heavy steering. It's got the gearbox is nothing insane. I'm not trying to brag about that or anything, but like everything's there to give you feedback. You know, you have to put input in and you get the feedback. And I want the same thing on a bike, which that actually brings me to another thing. You have the super bike tail on your S1000. Correct. Right. And I don't know if we talked about this or if I was talking to um, the wife about this, but as I'm looking at doing that to mine and getting the getting the monkey grip we were kind of talking about that a couple weeks ago woodcraft was kind of funny and if if i already told you this just let me know they said that the you know the superbike tail or maybe it was it might have been the monkey grip website i don't remember where i was reading it but the superbike tail and the foam pad the reason for them is that it gives the rider a better connection with the bike and you get more feedback from the bike and more feeling and i kind of you know i chuckled myself because i'm like oh that would be nice and then i caught myself being like okay i don't ride at that level i don't know that i I'm going to feel that feedback, but just kind of, you know, going back to that clunkiness, that mechanical feel, that feedback, those are the things that I look in a vehicle and a bike, uh, especially in a bike, you know. I well, then you'll love the tail. I will say that the connectivity to the bike, yes, because you don't have, you know, it's a stick on pad right. and it doesn't move around at all. And even when your seat, any seat on any bike, they're, you know, mounted with hardware, they're clipped in place. The seat moves around a little bit. Right. Plus, what I found is the the factory seat is, and the factory tail is wider, and so when you want to slide off, it's much easier to just slide off that seat. You know, the yeah. factory seats are designed for comfort. Right. You know, wide enough for your butt. These are not. It is easier to move around on the bike for sure, but at the end of the day, you realize you don't really have a seat. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Like I said, I'm looking into doing that, which that kind of brings a. Uh... Brings me to you. I don't know if you wanted to talk about it or not, but did you want to talk about Roebling a little bit? Yeah. Which part? <laughs> well, we could re-talk about the news that uh, everyone else is talking about. I think that's been done to death for them. Poor it guys. has been. I don't know. I was gonna. I was sitting there earlier, just kind of thinking, like, oh, what would I say about Roebling? And I'd say it's great. Uh, it's kind of fun. You know, if you have the option, if you haven't been to a track and you want to go to the track and Roebling pops up, go ahead. Otherwise, just don't go. <laughs> Well, is it a, you know, I was mentioning to you yesterday about going to New Jersey. Right. And as I was looking at that track layout, track neither one of us have been to, mm-hmm. uh, Thunderbolt, I think it's called. Yes, that's correct. If you put that overlay on top of Roebling, it is Roebling. Three quarters of that track is Roebling. It just comes, uh, you know, around like that second to last corner and adds a, comes back into the infield. There's more corners. Well, so I thought New Jersey had like an east and west. It, well, I think they have the lightning and the thunderbolt. Yeah, I'm not sure. I just, I was only looking at the thunderbolt. Okay, I'm looking at a map. Interesting. Are we talking chicane, no chicane? Are those chicanes? I couldn't tell. There's like some infield tracks in there. Yeah, almost. Um, I see what you're saying. The straightaway, the big right. Yeah. Going to the yeah. slight left to another big right. That all kind of matches. I'd say it's got like a little bit extra, but I I do agree with you. Well, um, well, that should be the no, title. It, it that should be the title to the Roebling subject. You need a little bit extra. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, a fun track for sure. Uh, I would be I would be interested to do it again to see where the times could drop. Yeah, but I feel that way about everything. That's that's fair. That's even fair. like even even PIR, which I think we both got out of and said like, yeah, we don't ever need to come back here. I've found found myself like looking at my maps on my trailer or in the trailer and being like, oh man, I wonder what I could do there now. You know, like I wonder trying to remember what I liked, didn't like, and where you could gain. You know, I could. Uh, so if we're ranking, which is not what you asked for, but if we're ranking PIR, yeah, I don't need to go back there again. <laughs> if you ask me to go to Roebling, yeah, we'll do it. Not my favorite track, but we'll go do it. Okay. Well, and they both they uh they both have the. And I'm not we're we're not going to get into the ambulance. Uh, if you haven't seen the ambulance story, go look it up elsewhere. It's out there. We don't need to overhash it because it's 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 been it's everywhere. It's it's across the world. In fact, we talked about that several times. How anyway? Don't need to get into that. But we could talk about pits on the infield rather than on the outside. How I think we're both on the same same opinion there. 
where it's just not quite it works but you need a tunnel or a bridge i think me and you have as much room to talk about some of these things as anybody does because we might not be the fastest guys in the world but we've made a a real effort to hit a lot of tracks yeah and so we've seen how different tracks run um without mentioning names uh it's crazy how different the flags are from track to track uh they can't get all the rules on the same page it's uh it's interesting that, you know, again, not mentioning names, there's there's tracks out there that if you crash your bike in the first session of the morning, you're not getting it back until lunch or after the day ends. There, there are tracks like Roebling where everything needs completely shut down before they'll do anything. They, they tell you if you wreck, just walk away and stay out there until the end of a session. But, but leave your bike. But leave don't, your bike. Don't touch um, the bike, which is understandable. Which which is fine, but it it's just the stark contrast is Utah, where I normally go. There's trucks driving around the outfield constantly. Just, I mean, a bike crashes, they're scooping it up while you're still going. It's gone. Sometimes, I mean, full disclosure. Sometimes I have to remind myself, you know, like watching an ambulance on the freeway, trying to see what happened in the accident and all the traffic slows down. Sometimes you're in one of them corners. You got to remind yourself, don't look, don't look. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I remember I didn't have that issue per se, but I do remember the helmet I have has two vents right here, which are amazing until it gets dusty because they bring in a lot of air and it's really nice because it's nice and cool on the face, uh, especially in Utah where it was so hot. I think we were there in July, right? Yeah. It was in the nineties. Mid- it was in the upper 90s. Yeah, mid to high 90s. I was like so thankful for those vents in the morning because I was like, man, this is great. All this cold air. And then the truck started driving around and the dust came up and it was just in the face. And I was like, <laughs> oh, man. Okay. That's different. So You needed to stop and pick up that off-road Honda. See? <laughs> yeah. No, I just I think the having the pits on the inside is actually kind of sweet to some degree because you can go watch any portion of the track, right? Well, um, put that into contrast. Sorry not to steal that from you, but so Roebling Raceway, you're there with your family. There's a lot of families there. You're inside the middle of the track. Everybody can watch. You can you can walk 50 feet and see a whole new section of track. Right. The Ridge, most beautiful track in the world, Can't arguably. Uh, you can see the front straightaway and you see them go up the hill to leave and you see them come down the hill to go on the straightaway. And, and they've made improvements. They've made improvements to where you can you know, go across the bridge now and everything. But for a long time, it was just, that's where they are. So anybody, you know, they, they don't even know you're running. Yeah. Well, and I'll, I'll say the Ridge did make those improvements and they're always improving. In fact, this year, I think I was looking at their Moto America tickets just for looking and they added like another hundred RV spots or something like that. Maybe not. That's a big number. I could be saying completely wrong, but they added a number of RV spots. That's one thing I love about them. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know the Ridge Motorsports Park, that's in up in the PNW, Washington, a little town called Shelton. If you're listening or watching this podcast, uh, we'll probably talk about it a lot. We like it a lot. I want to get that out there. <laughs> you know, I've told you this plenty of times. They always put their money back into it. Um, and whether or not that's just a rumor, I don't know. But it sure it sure feels like. To your point, they added the catwalk. They added the grandstands up on the other side. So you can see, you know, you can see into turn six and see them go down. But then you lose them for a little bit. Then they come around. You see them come back up through eight, nine, ten. And you can see them through 11, but you almost lose them in 11 for a little bit if you're sitting in the grandstands, which if you're, you know, I went to Moto America there last year. If you're there, there's a lot of people, you know, if it's a track day, you can go watch whatever because there's no one there. And so you can see everything. But if the grandstands were a little taller, I think it would be better. But I think they need to somehow add something for turns one, two and three, whether or not that's grandstands at the end of the straight. So you can at least see them go up the hill or something on like further down on the inside, you know, with the catwalk, which maybe they are, you know, maybe they're planning that. I don't know, but uh, I think they need to add a little more. Well, it would be nice if they would add a little more. They're not a, you know, it's not a world, not an international track by any means. So I don't expect anything crazy out of them, but that's my take on that. So yeah, I'll, you know, I'll give Roebling and even, I don't remember PIR that well. It's been what, two, two years, maybe three years now, not two years, two years. The infield from that aspect is sweet. And I, again, I have no issues with it. I just, I do think that you need a tunnel or a bridge. Uh, and like I could go, I could argue just purely personal reason. What if I need to leave halfway through the day for an emergency? You know, if you're out there by yourself and something comes up or you got to get out, you either have to close down the track day that's going on right then uh, and get everyone off the track, or you get to wait 20 minutes 
up to 20 minutes for them to clear it. And if you don't time that perfectly, you're waiting another 20 minutes, right? And then also, obviously, with the the incident, getting an ambulance across, like, I I think there's just too many bad scenarios that could come up. That's my opinion on that. The track was beautiful, rolling. It was a beautiful track, nice asphalt, great surface. I do agree Um, with that. Yeah, I was actually pleasantly surprised with that. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful setting in the trees, both inside and outside the track. Nice facilities, whether it be restrooms to have food, you know, lunch, uh, things like that. I I think that we would both agree as many different tracks as we've run. If I lived right there in Georgia and that track was 20 minutes, less than an hour from me, Mm -hmm. I, I would hit it every time they'd let me. Yep, I agree with that. But to travel well i I flew out from utah yeah cross country not quite worth it kind of i want to trailer a a bike across let me put it this way if you're in california if you're anywhere more than more than a six hour drive from roebling road unless you're getting real bored and you haven't seen anything else and you really you know it's the last one on your list or something like that you know if you're crazy like us and you like to just go hit all the different tracks because you're not necessarily super fast but you enjoy it then sure go ahead but if you're anything over that, I would not be hauling a bike that far, right? So it's a little different for you. You've got a bike out here, so you can come out here and, and do all that. But yeah, I wouldn't be hauling. Hey, man, put up the bike in the trailer. I'll see you in a few days. Let's go to Roebling Road. That's never a conversation I'm going to have. Uh, you know, I'll be going to Atlanta. I forget the date exactly. I want to say the 22nd, um, but right after Coda. Hopefully that one's a little better, but it's also a little further away. So that that's the, the interesting part is like with where I'm at specifically is... Uh, the distance wise is a is a factor, right? I mean, you know that as well as I do. That that was what was so great for me about the ridge. You know, it was an hour. You wake up early in the morning, and you just drive out there, and then you come home that night. I mean, it's it's just a one day event. If you're staying overnight, great, you can do that, or you could go home and come back the next day. Like, however you want to do it, that's you know that's amazing, and I love that track. It's a little sad because Roebling is one of my you know one of my closest options, and we're not not the most happy with it. I would like to. St- I'm curious. I don't think it would make enough of a difference, but I'd be curious to run it with a chicane just to see. I don't think it would. I think it would actually probably make me a little less happy with it just because, I mean, you know, I've told you plenty of times that I I like a long straight as a, as a break, you know, when you're coming around, you're, you're working in the turns and it's kind of nice sometimes to to have a a quick break and you can kind of recalibrate if you will figure out, but like, all right. And you know, you actually have a minute to think, where do I want to work this next lap? Like, what did I mess up? Yeah, so. slightly, slightly longer break on my Jixer than yours. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to talk about that. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious where that difference is. It's got a. I, I would assume it's just mostly the gearing uh, and probably the, th- the quick turn. I don't know if you had that, uh, that issue. I think we talked about that a little bit right after that track day. But uh, you, you grab, twist, and then kind of almost regrab and. Yeah, twist again to get the full. That's that straightaway is long enough there that you had time to regrip. Yeah, regrip, try to rip it off. Yep, get up into into sixth gear. Yeah. I was thinking about that actually because I had a. I mean, you know, I I went from a down one up to gearing to just down one specifically so that I wasn't because at a in PI, at PIR and in Utah I was topping out sixth gear. Right, I'd, I'd get almost three, probably a little over three quarters of the way through the straight, or before the breaking point anyway, my breaking point. And I'm in sixth gear, holding right at 15. That's all I've got. So I re-geared, and at the same time went went down to the 520, went to the aluminum rear, um, and I did that in hopes of gaining some top speed. Not because I needed to go faster, but because I wanted wanted to not be maxing the bike out on a longer straight. And up until going to Roebling, I hadn't been anywhere because since doing that, I'd ridden the ridge with a chicane, so you don't get it there. Chuckwalla, Arizona, that's actually it. Uh, Roebling was the first one with with a decent sized straight again, and I, I saw that because I didn't actually get out of fifth gear. So I think it did make that difference, and obviously it didn't lose any of the acceleration that I was scared that it would. So I think the basically right a year ago, I was like, all right, I'm going to put this quick turn throttle on. Well, so I knew I wanted more top speed. Well, we'll start there. I knew I wanted more top speed. So it's like, okay, I have to change my gearing. But I didn't want to lose the acceleration that I had because I loved, I loved it, right? It was when you're a little slower, it's nice to have that little bit of grunt coming out of a corner because you can go, you know, go get someone that, you know, you're going to pass later or 
maybe they just barely got you and you get a little upset, whatever it is, you've got that, that push there. So I didn't want to lose that, um, but I wanted that more top speed. And the goal was to, to switch the gearing, but then change the other things to maintain the acceleration. And after going to Roebling, I, I came out of that and I like it, you know, it had been so long ago since I made that change that I've kind of forgotten to a few days later, but I was like, Hey, you know, it worked. It did it. It all turned out right. Doing the quick turn throttle, going back to stock gearing in the rear, but doing a 520 chain and aluminum rear sprocket, like actually made the differences that I needed. I don't feel like I lost, lost any acceleration and I definitely gained some top speed there. So that was really nice to see. I think that's about all I had. All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for the day. Uh, that's about all I had once again. I'm Easton. I'm Cole. And this is our motorcycle podcast. Feel free to like and subscribe uh, and come back, listen and tell your friends, and uh, we'll keep her going. Till next time. Okay. Thanks for listening.